This is like being inside one of those ASMR videos. Yeah, just Tom munching away and breathing in our ear. People like this. That would they? Dude, look it up, man. People love ASMR. It's so weird. It is weird. It's been like we've been talking to you, and you've been like just eating and breathing into the microphone. Oh shit! Did you not hear us that whole time? No. We kept saying we were we were inside an ASMR video because all we could hear (laughs) is you eating. Not a good one, although I don't think those exist really. That was insane. <laughs> my my volume got messed up. I I was sitting here and it because it wasn't muted. We were like, talking oh. the whole time and you were just eating and I don't know. I thought you were just like being an ass. We're back finally after a series of setbacks. We have returned, um, and we are here with more horror for the month of October with the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am Kyle Bird, and um, what? I am Matt Parmley. Yes, hey. yes, uh, and of course uh, we are joined by uh, recurring co-host. Who also happens to love the uh, month of October? We have Tom back with us. Welcome back. Hey, at, at this point, this is more going to be like a Halloween hangover podcast, essentially. Yeah, well, yeah, because we, we got two episodes on the on the docket for tonight's recording, and it's damn near Halloween. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but how is everyone's October going? <laughs> For me, pretty much the same as always. I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch a few movies. And I'm up to 59, I think. Um, yeah. Plus most of season six of Stranger Things, which so far sucks. <laughs> um, I uh, have not kept count of Look what I've what watched. Did Hooper Look or Hopper. Oh, Hopper, Hopper sucks on... Uh, Look what they did to my! Thing. Look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. I've watched a lot. I mean, um, uh, with this podcast, I think we watched something like fourteen movies or so. I don't know. We 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 did quite a few, and then um, a few things here and there at home, and then I went to a film, my first ever film festival, which was a horror film festival in Ohio, and I watched something like 14, 15 movies, 20 short films, um, so that alone, I think I've probably done, like, 31 horror movies in 31 days, 
I had to have. I've, I watched that one short film. Oh, the the one with the 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 drag queen, yeah. No, no, yeah. I clicked it. That was a mistake. That was, that was <laughs> nah, man, it's awesome. There, it's a, it's part of a trilogy. But yeah, no, that that played in front of Loch Ness, uh, not Loch Ness, Lake Michigan monster, yesterday, and I saw it with uh, our friend Danny, being and and we were just uh, gobsmacked. That's a, I can't yeah. ima- I can't imagine watching that with an with like another person. <laughs> I watched it with an audience. <laughs> what the, like did the audience like react in any specific way during that? Uh, yeah, uh, with uncomfortable, Lots of uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable shuffling. laughter. <laughs> and then and then it was followed by Lake Michigan Monster, which I I can tell you that movie is absolutely bananas. So. Uh, yeah, that was a lot to process in like an hour and a half or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I did see uh, Lighthouse with Eric Henry, and then we watched uh, Zombie Land Two. Lighthouse is pretty pretty awesome. Uh, Zombie Land Two, I would give a hard no. Don't don't waste your time. Although people have been calling me a grump, but I thought it was. A I mean, I don't. Down. I'm not even the biggest fan of the first Zombie Land, so whatever. It's uh definite step down and i thought less funny and less creative so pass i believe it but no uh yeah the the first like day of the festival i was like wow watching movies all day is more tiring than you would think but then like by sunday i like or by saturday because it was thursday friday saturday sunday by uh by sunday which I think is when I watch the most movies in one day. Like I had my sea legs, so like it 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 was a lot more uh, manageable. <laughs> you you were you were fine afterwards. Yeah, yeah I'll be watch, lucky to get watching three from hell once will knock you right on your ass. <laughs> it was it was more taxing than Bird's entire weekend. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be lucky to get thirty one films this uh, month. Life has uh, kicked us in the teeth the past like six weeks so I'm, I'm plugging along as best i can but we'll, we'll see if i can get 31 before the uh, end of the month you won't that's like in three days <laughs> i could not watch movies i could not watch a movie on halloween for like the next six years <laughs> you're still an <laughs> average 31 yeah that's that sounds that sounds right um anyhow uh uh, speaking of Lake Michigan Monster, Tom, you said that they should have an actual release soon? Yeah, I saw mentioned on Facebook, on their their Facebook page, someone commented, oh, I got to see it, you know, any word on a release? And they said, yes, we should have a DVD and Blu-ray release in the spring. All right. Well, so- we're, we're definitely going to have to, like, do a full... Because you gave your review, I just said some stuff. We got to do like a full proper one because that movie is absolutely uh, bonkers. Plus, we did a or well, I did yeah, and you inter- yeah, and yeah, we you interviewed the director for us too. So yes, it, yeah, no, it was insane. Uh, okay, so today, um, well, I mean, if you listened to that interview and you heard his pitch for um, Roadhouse Two. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's uh that was my favorite part of the interview by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, you know it's 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 a movie made by a crazy person. So, um uh oh, uh you know what? Before we get into it, uh I think we can read a little bit of uh 
I have a little fan uh, mail here via Facebook comments that uh, is a good follow-up to our um, episode we did on The Blob. Um, so in the second movie, we talked about all of the crazy things that happened, including uh, our character, Chester, who was the first to die, dropping his beer tabs uh, into his drink. Now, uh, our friend Jesse Hayes, uh, who's been following us ever since like the early days of my old podcast, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It, he says, uh, in reference to the second movie and Tom's comment, it was a thing to pull a beer tab off and drop it back in the beer. They had to stop making cans that way because people were choking on them. Uh, and now, as far as why people were doing that... Um, uh, okay, he says, uh, I, I don't know why people did it, but they totally did. From the Wikipedia, it says, Into the 70s, the pull tab was widely popular, but its popularity came with a significant problem, as people would frequently discard the pull tabs on the ground as litter or drop them in the can and risk choking on them. These problems were both addressed by the invention of the push tab. Uh, and then later on, he says... Um, Okay, I just called my dad and asked him. First of all, I hope that's the reason that he called his dad, <laughs> just because of that, not to, like, say hello or anything. And he said it was be- because of littering, it was a big problem at the time, uh, and people looked down on throwing the tabs on the ground. So I guess if you're in public or something and you pull the tab off, uh, I guess some people would find it easier just to drop it into their can. Um that's still weird, though, because Chester drops them... I mean, like, he's in his house, so he's by, yeah. like, a trash can. So he could... Why not just, like, put throw it in the trash? Because beware the blob. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Because I, mean, I could see that, that if that you're... That is a reasonable answer. I guess I could kind of see that. At, like, okay, you're, like, having a picnic, and you're, like, in the middle of, like a field and there's or something and you're wearing pants without pockets or whatever and you don't want to litter okay sure fine but chester's just hanging out in his house and he seems like really happy about it but he's also fishing in his house i mean you know it's (laughs) (laughs) well we've uh, we've cracked uh a portion of the mystery seems like there's still a lot of work to be done before that can be explained (laughs) Uh, at this rate, we'll have it figured out by you know the time, by the time uh, Kaiju Transmissions runs out of material completely, in like twenty forty six. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to do a follow. We'll do the final episode of Kaiju Transmissions. Will be a follow up on Beware the Blob, just called We Get It. Yeah. Uh, okay, so today we. Um, are going to uh, discuss the directorial efforts of Tomo Haraguchi. Tomo, Tomu, Tamu? I don't know. The end of his name has two O's, and I'm not sure I understand that, and it makes it hard for me to like feel like I'm saying it right. So that's another thing someone can tell us that we're doing wrong. Yeah, and sometimes there's like an apostrophe before the second O. It's I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, anywho, um, luckily his last name is Haraguchi, so I won't have to say his first name again. Um, for those not in the know, um, he is a rather prolific special effects, 
uh, artist, makeup artist, monster maker, um, model maker uh, in Japan. Um, for the uh, the listeners, the things they would know him <clears throat> most from, just to read off some of his special effects credits, um, model maker for Ultraman 80, a monster maker for the Gamera trilogy. Um, so, you know, he, he made a lot of those amazing suits and puppets and, and things. Um, so he's the maniac that came up with Legion. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's, he's kind of, uh, been Shinji Higuchi's right hand man, um, in a lot of stuff. And they, they have worked together, uh, numerous times over the years. Um, Ultraman Mabius, Gamera the Brave, uh, Higuchi's Sinking of Japan, Ultra 7X, uh, Ultraman uh, um, Ginga, and uh, as a director, he did these four films, um, as well as Death Kappa. Ugh. Um, <laughs> uh, we're not talking about Death Kappa yet, yet. Um, even though yeah, that'll be, it, even though well. it does pertain to the yokai theme, um, uh, and also uh, episodes of Ultraman Mebius, Ultraman Ginga, and he did the Ultraman Ginga Theater Special Ultra Monster Hero Battle Royale film. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, um, so uh, I will um, start talking about Mika Droid. Um, which is the first film that he directed, um, and uh, I'll give a little bit of background. Um, this was a co-production with Toho and Tsuburaya, um, which uh, it was part of Toho's early 90s Cineback series, whatever that means. Um, uh, that was a series of straight-to-video films um, to kind of flash back to last year when we did an episode about uh, body horror shorts. We did we talked about Gaki Dama and how the straight to video market was like huge in the eighties and early nineties. And this kind of falls into that. Um, that, and that's also the same, uh, you know, market that Takashi Miike started in and <clears throat> all these other guys. Anyhow, the origin of this thing, um, in 1989, Haraguchi came up with his own story called Mikado Zombie, which was about a world war two soldier, uh, who came back, um, as a zombie decades later um he enlisted a gun model maker uh to design weapons for the movie a staff was put together and i don't know who this is referring to uh this information comes from the essay that's on the dvd um the essay says mr komatsu was set to direct now i read through this essay several times trying to figure out who this person was <laughs> and if he had a first name so i'm assuming there was some kind of translation thing here where they <laughs> forgot his first name or something but a fellow <laughs> with the last name of komatsu was set to direct now uh this is where the story actually gets kind of interesting the day before filming was going to begin, a serial child murderer was arrested. Uh, and this was heavily covered in the media, as of course it would be. Um, and it, it, it was revealed that the killer was a lover of horror films. Um, as a result, the public opinion of horror overall was, had dropped significantly 
Um, and I guess it, it, it had been very... Um, the hatred of horror because of this event became rather, I guess, widespread in, in Japan for a while. Um, so the movie was canceled. Um, and this, this is also what led to the project being revived as Mika Droid. Um, Haraguchi would resurrect it as, uh, leaning more into the sci-fi elements and abandoning the more traditional horror elements of, um, you know, kind of a zombie slasher film. And this is where Mika Droid was conceived and why it's a robot, um, so, uh, from there, tokusatsu writers Junichi Miyashita, um, who is known for a lot of Super Sentai shows, uh, Shin Kamen Rider, and video games like Resident Evil Zero, and Hara Masami, uh, who'd worked on Ultraman and Getter Robo, um, developed a plot, and Junki Takagami, uh, who people would know from Ultraman Neos, Ultraman... R.B., is it Rube? Is that how I'm supposed to say it? I think, I believe so. Okay. Um, and then uh, Naruto. Rube? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, m- more Super Sentai stuff. He he finished the, the script um, in 1990. Now, um, <clears throat> oh, I mentioned Shinji Higuchi, who is uh, going to be a prominent figure um, in Haraguchi's career and in his life. Um, they met on the set of a movie called Emperor's Tale, which was Higuchi's first movie as a special effects director. Um, and the two of them would keep getting hired onto the same project, so they became very close friends. Um, and Haraguchi told Higuchi about Mika Droid and hired him as the special effects director. And as I mentioned, they would continue to work together um, multiple times, the Gamera Trilogy, uh, Sinking of Japan, and uh, even Sakuya, which we're going to talk about. Um, and then also Akio Jisoji, um, of Ultraman fame, and a lot of really weird, like, art house movies, uh, was the production supervisor. Um, so, uh, I have, through random, uh, uh, processing, assigned Tom with the synopsis for this one. Okay. This is a pretty easy one. So I'm glad I, I get this one and I don't get one of the... Or maybe I still do get one of the really bonkers ones from <laughs> from later that we're going to talk about. But um, no, Mika Droid and, and Bird is underselling it because the full name of this movie is Mika Droid: Colon Robo Kill Beneath Disco Club Layla. That's an awesome full title. Um, That's a great title it, for anything. <laughs> this could have just been like a, a a dancing movie, like Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> With that title, it'd be awesome. Um, so it, it starts off World War II, Japan. Japan is doing secret military research into creating an army of super soldiers out of Olympic level athletes. Uh, when the U.S. bears down on Japan and the tide of the war starts shifting a little bit, the research is confiscated and destroyed in order to prevent the Allies from seeing the many war crimes being committed and gaining the knowledge all for themselves. Unbeknownst to them, but. Uh, Known to us viewers, <laughs> Jirango, the super soldier, has already been completed and is ready. And two more specimens have become the process. Have begun the process. These two uh, escape in a kerfuffle, and the Jirango is buried in a collapsed lab after a bombing. 
Uh, now we flash forward to modern day, uh, still in Japan. There's a fresh hot disco club called Layla where everyone goes to dance the night away. Unfortunately, a generator in the basement goes haywire and awakens the Jiran Go. It is now prowling about loose in the basement in the parking garage, murdering random people. And then two people show up to stop it and uh, and fight it. And, you know, these are the two athletes that escaped before. And then everyone kind of shoots guns at each other for a while until the movie ends. And it has a really, really crazy ending. Um, I don't know how spoilery we want to get right off the bat, but if if the whole movie had been like the end of this movie <laughs> um where a character gets stabbed and random spider arms shoot out of his his appen- his uh <laughs> his midsection i would have been way more on board but uh yeah that happens in, in the end of this movie and and there's a couple people caught in the crossfire that are trying to survive and you know they they it's a guy and a girl and they kind of start to bond with each other and stuff like that. And I mean, that's, that's really the movie is, is it's just this, you know, robotic thing kind of walking around clanking through the basement and the parking garage, just killing people. And then these guys show up to fight it, try and stop it. Uh, basically says so that they can finally die and so that they can try and put this to rest forever. And yeah, the, did you mention those guys were part of the same experiment? Yeah, yeah, they're the they're the two guys that escape right in the beginning scene. Um, a lot of the stuff that I said at the outset is more subtext or like inferred context. Like you have to, you know, you have to know <coughs> the Japanese are actually performing like secret research and then actually destroying their research so that it wasn't getting confiscated by the allies because that's never really explicitly stated uh, when this movie starts it's just it's kind of the the background or the setting to it you know it it's it's all kind of stuff that just happens um but yeah it's i mean it's a pretty threat threadbare plot but it's also only what it's barely over an hour yeah yeah so there's not a whole lot of plot you could put into it <clears throat> yeah that's the plot <laughs> that was pretty well done honestly um yeah let me let me let me go first on my thoughts just because i don't know how you guys felt about the movie but i hated it from start to finish um i i wish there's a couple points in the movie that i thought could have been that, that were interesting and kind of funny there's a, a mural scene where um you have body paintings or whatever and a woman is killed and the, the body paintings are these, like it's not it's outlined to people you know red blue yellow green a woman is killed in this parking garage and her body is eventually flung into the uh the wall and it looks like it's just you know her blood splatters and becomes part of the mural i kind of laughed at that but aside from that and like the very end where some of the more crazy stuff happens that tom talked about like i just i was really bored it felt really just jointed uh I don't know. I was very disappointed for a movie that's so short. It felt like three hours. I guess. I guess my thing is like, uh, and I guess this is kind of going into what my overall takeaway is: is that like, uh, I <laughs> I'm not really sure why anyone would have such uh, strong enough feelings to hate 
<laughs> this movie because to me it's just kind of it's, it's a just thing. because of order, it's, though. It's, it's there. It's, uh, well, the thing is, like, it's too short for me to be like, oh, I can't stand this. And then it's too, and like, it's, I don't know, it's like being angry at, like, white bread or something. Why does it gotta be white? <laughs> like, it, <laughs> like, it's too, uh, I guess it's, it's too average to, like, elicit any kind of strong reaction one way or the other, for me, anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of right around there. I mean, I leaned a little bit more towards disliking it just because there are those couple of shining moments actually, and those almost just highlight the the lesser aspects of the movie more. You know, it's when you when you got stuff that's that's so like I, I really do think that that mural scene is legitimately like stylish and interesting to look at and it's kind of funny i mean you know it's trying to be so so it is a little bit i think the last um, 20 minutes once the mika droid like starts stalking our characters i think is rather entertaining i think the lead up to it is kind of i think of, the last like five or ten minutes with the actual like crazy bonkers battle sequence and the one guy dying and like as he dies his life force gets like for no reason sucked out of him and he instantly <laughs> turns into like a decrepit skeleton Yeah, he thing. turns into like, like a mummy or something. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff, like, like that stuff is legitimately cool and it, it, like, there are parts of this that show a lot of promise and a lot of talent and, you know, as we get into some, uh, at least one, and I would personally say two of his later movies, you could see where he's got a lot of this talent, right? That, that, ends up shining through but this one is overall just a little bit of a misfire um and then and then there were like there were parts where i swear to you so i like looked away from the movie for like a half a second and then when i looked back i i swear to you i thought i saw a mannequin on uh a a skateboard getting shot at and blood coming out of it and i like laughed my ass off i thought that was like comedy i thought it was like the joke and then then the next scene it's not a joke it wasn't supposed to be a mannequin it totally is but it's like supposed to be a character who's getting shot by the mika droid i like stuff like that has this like in an unintentional hilarity to it right um so there's like it's weird where there's there's moments where I'm I'm digging it because I'm supposed to moments where I'm digging it because I'm not supposed to but then a lot of moments where like the movie loses steam when it kind of should be getting its best yeah. and that's when those two Olympian guys arrive to start fighting it. Well, you get a bunch of setup and then that gets us to our main characters and then they stay divorced from the action for a very long time. Yeah. So, uh, it either... One of two things. It either would have made a really cool short film, or it could make... Or someone could use the idea to make a really cool remake. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Like a reimagining of some kind. You know, especially, I mean, if, if, uh, if they played up, you know, the the two guys like the Mika droid being like a 
a friend of their person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there be, and I mean, I guess you get like, you get barely a sliver of it, but you know, if they kind of did that for some character building or something, or, or I mean, really just have us follow the two God, the two, uh, the two soldiers, well, they're not soldiers, the two athletes, have us follow them instead of the electrician and the the, the girl. Yeah. Because they were more, much more interesting characters. Well, right, yeah, because they have some potential backstory and some pathos, and, you know, I mean, they're, they're not just passive, right? They're not, they're not just along for the ride. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's got some funny moments. It's got that moment with the, the security guard, and at the end, he's all tied up, but he's just happy for like, no reason. <laughs> um, and that is Sandayu, I'm, I'm going to get this name so wrong, uh, Doku Mamushi from Ultraman and Ultra 7. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's like the goofy uh, guy. The goofy guy that's not the super goofy guy. He's the lesser of the two goofy guys in the original Ultraman. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's got its moments though. It, it does, and and then yeah, and then there's just times where nothing. It, you know what it would really benefit from is like some half decent sound design. Because <laughs> when the Mika Droid himself is walking around, I feel like it should be like a clanking or like a creaking noise, and it sounds like rubber. Yeah. Yeah, and he looks a lot like the Michelin Man in silo in silhouette. Anyway, I can't unsee that now. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like I like when when the movie has. See, that's the thing. Like, it has too many like little inventive moments to be a complete slog. Because like every time you tune out, like a woman will have her clothes sliced off and like paint her silhouette on a wall or, or like yeah <laughs> or, or a dummy on a skateboard will get <laughs> shot full of holes or a guy will become a mummy for no reason or or a guy will grow spider legs out of his back or something like <laughs> so so i can't write it off j- quite as easy um and yeah i mean the effort is there i mean obviously this movie didn't have a lot of money and you know, yeah, this, it was definitely made for about fifteen cents. Yeah, and and they they I and you know I and I know they had to kind of like basically turn it into another movie after that serial killer got arrested. So I don't know. Um, it's got its own. It's got its interesting stuff, but it's nothing that I think you should go out and rush to see. Um, also, I mean, for a first movie from I don't know, special effects guys are kind of hit and miss when it comes to directing, especially yeah. like. Um, you know, like, Haraguchi's kind of like a Japanese Tom Savini or something, and so, you know, for for someone like that to kind of try this for the first time, you know, I think the effort and the talent is there, but it's definitely lacking in a lot of the more, um, like, at the on, on the, on a more story level, I guess. Yeah. I do really I like, like the I like the atmosphere of it though, and I and I really like the score also. Uh, in fact, uh, the composer Kenji Kawai, um, he did the scores for all of the movies we're going to talk about here, um, and uh, 
He's done tons then, of like, stuff. Ghost in the, the Shell, effect, Pat Labor. The that really try are really good. You know, like for for something that's with no budget, like when the when the the athlete dies and turns into the mom, like that's a really good moment. Yeah, for, especially for something that has no money. Um, so it's got like just enough to carry you through, especially since it's so short. Yeah. Um. And uh, in addition to the actor from Ultraman, we also have cameos by the director, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, um, one of my favorite Japanese horror directors. He did Pulse and Cure. Also, um, I don't know if you guys caught it, there's a cameo by Little Man Machan, who uh, played Minya, of course. And the scientist that creates the Mika droid is Misato Ibu, who was the villain in Godzilla vs. Megaguirus and the main uh, ex-alien in Final Wars before the crazy one took over. Yeah, the the leader before he gets killed by... The awesome guy. The awesome guy, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, there's really not much more to say about... Mika Droid. It's a very uh, straightforward, very kind of bare bones plot, um, and it is what it is. Um, but if you want to see, you know, the early days of these guys kind of breaking in on their own and being more independent, um, and not just being like work for hire guys, you know, I mean. It's worth maybe checking out. It's on YouTube, so there's not much you need to do <laughs> in order to find it, and it's short. Um, but it's not something I'm going to be like, yeah, you this you got to watch this. Like, you know, if you kind of like that '80s, early '90s cyberpunk aesthetic and want to see kind of like a weird blend of that in a slasher movie, then it won't kill. You won't hate yourself for watching it, I guess, unless you're Matt, apparently. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, so yes, I uh, am going to give this two Michelin Man murderous robots out of five. To one. <laughs> oh. I'm going with. I'm going right with Bird. I've got it at two. Two. Rubber squeaks out of five. <laughs> yeah. And a two, a, for me, a two is there's some things in it that are okay, but it's kind of boring and forgettable. Like, that's a two. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'll, and also, anyway. I would say it's it might also have a little bit of like your mileage may vary level to it. You know, I, I could, I could see someone maybe liking it and being a little more forgiving of some of its faults. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm kind of more there because, like, I like lots of just weird, low-budget, like, rough-around-the-edges, like, indie stuff that was made for, like, $5, so that's why the good stuff might stand out more than the bad a little bit, maybe? Kind of? (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure this is a two-bird? I'm just... I could maybe go to a two and a half, but I feel like that's <sighs> too high. But I feel like a two. You do that, I'm going to a half, right? We'll why should, why does my score dictate what you want to give it? 
<laughs> feeling, I don't know. I guys, look, I, it's the amount of boredom that set in watching this. Like, I just can't. I, the only, I mean, the, the stuff that I enjoyed about it was the one scene I outlined, and the stuff that Tom mentioned with the spider legs at the very end. That's that's it wasn't bad, but like enduring even an hour of that to get those two moments, it's just not worth it. Well, some so people think past. enduring an hour of you isn't worth it. I mean, a lot of people think that. <laughs> That's why we have 12 listeners. <laughs> All right. Um, are we ready to go to Sakuya Yokaiden? Or Sakuya yep. Slayer of Demons? Or Sakuya the Demon Slayer? However you want to say it. Yep. Um, Tom, hit us with the two sentences that we have about this backstory. <laughs> Uh, Sakuya was, uh, well, from 2000, uh, was developed by the new Tawani studio in partnership between Toshiba, Warner Brothers, and Nippon Television. It would be one of only four features the studio would ever make, including Hideaki Anno's Cutie Honey, which is, you know, one of those, like, I've heard people tell me, oh, if you think that Anno only makes depressing, kill yourself, emo, introspective, depression movies, you should watch Cutie Honey because it's not that. But I've watched enough Hideki Anno that I don't watch Cutie Honey. (laughs) (sighs) All right, Matt, what's what's this movie about? I I gave this one to you. Yeah, I'll do my best to get through there, and you guys chime in where where you feel necessary, all right? So, uh, basically, there's a world where humans and yokai coexist, and this family uses a sword, the Muramasa, which basically drains the life force of its user to fight off the yokai. And Sakya's father, during one of these said battles, is killed by a kappa, and she becomes the user of the sword immediately thereafter, and she ends up slaying that kappa. In the process, she finds a little baby kappa, which she decides to take in and basically raise as her brother. And so a lot of the story revolves around Sakya thinks this little kappa, who ages like 10 years and 6 months or something, is the heir to the family and she's got to go through and convince her clan that he is not worth killing off. There are several times during the film where they're trying to actively like, Hey, we should not be keeping this cap alive. We should be getting rid of it. It's the enemy. And then you have, um, the spider queen, which is basically responsible for the woes of everybody with all these creatures and manipulating things behind the scene. And there's a really great bit where the Kappa is is basically tested is the kappa gonna give in and become like all the other monsters and turn on sakia even though she's doing good things and then you basically have to go to the conclusion of the film where sakia fights the spider queen and and the the give and take between her and her brother and and how all those things play out so those are kind of the main story beats you guys fill in any blanks i may have overlooked i think the one thing i i thought was right at the beginning it's not so much that humans and yokai coexist. My understanding was like pissed every off time Mount Fuji gets pissed off at humanity for some reason for being dicks, Mount Fuji erupts yokai into the world. Yeah, yeah, Isn't that's that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that that's pretty accurate. Yeah, and it's like it's meant to like thin us out and right the ship so that we can stop being dicks. <laughs> 
Essentially, yes. <laughs> um, so, what'd you guys think? I loved it. I loved, like, almost every second of it. Um, I think the only thing I didn't love is the weird song that happens around the <laughs> two-thirds mark of the movie. Um, That's fair. But, like, yeah, I was i was enthralled i was i was wildly entertained from end to end um i uh i I, most of the story is definitely like very front-loaded but that's okay because that that means that it's very it's paced very well then you know like it gets a lot of its storytelling out of the way with like a lot of visual storytelling and it shows rather than tells. And, you know, most of the story of this, like most of what we were talking about, Matt talked about with like, um, humans and yokai and the vortex, which is the sword and draining your life and all that stuff. Like that's all like kind of gotten out of the way in the first 15 minutes. And then you get to spend the rest of the movie, like really getting some time with these characters and some really good action beats. So you really get to kind of know Sakuya as a a character and as a person. And you really get to see how good and righteous and how much of a hero she really is. You know, to the point where at one point a mob of humans who are being like, I don't know if maybe manipulated by the yokai or if they're just more like the type of human that the yokai were kind of sent to exploit slash kill off by Mount Fuji, um, they attack her and she's like, please don't like, if, if you do, I'll kill you. I really don't want to kill you. But like, if she does kill them, she'll get to live longer because the, the sword has a thirst for human blood. Yeah. That's kind of, it's, that's why it drains your life force as you're battling yokai. It, 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 you know, has this thirst for human blood and like, as they're attacking her and she's defending herself, the sword kind of takes over and she's like screaming against it. And she's very like distraught that she's killing her fellow man. Yeah. She That's makes it very awesome... clear that she doesn't, she has, she has a no kill rule like, like Batman for humans. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. For humans. Um, but that's an awesome moment, right? Like, that definitely makes her a hell of a character and and a very sympathetic and a very heroic one. Um, and I loved that. Uh, and there's like little beats like that all kind of throughout, especially with her. You know, I mean, her brother ends up betraying her at one point, and she still, you know, tries to save his life. And and there's a whole bunch of just little things like that with her. She's just she's an awesome, awesome character, and she's a total badass to boot. You know, so. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, the ending also has like a little thing where I, I don't have any freaking idea what the hell happened. Um, <laughs> what was that? What? What didn't you know what happened? Okay, so Taro picks up the sword, and the candle is f- fulfilled, but then also the old guy becomes not as old anymore. And he's like screaming. Remember when Taro picks up the sword and the old guy's like, Aah! I think like there's, I think something about is like there an implication that like the enchantment is being broken. Well, I think there's something with his, um, 
where he's like his life force I think has something to do with the candle that's yeah that's how I understood it I thought like the the candle draining the life force was coming to an end and he was like also ending it's I can see what Tom's saying it's confusing yeah Uh, I wish we had Kevin here he's seen this movie like 200 times uh this is is my first time watching it so Um, this is the first time i ever knew it existed so well this is the first time i've watched it in something like uh, 15 years or so i don't know they play it on the in-house channel at g fest so i've count i've i've caught like moments here and there but the last time i watched it like sat down and watched it was uh very long ago um, but it did. It held up for me quite well. Uh, the bootleg the DVD awesome. I have <laughs> looks like garbage. Um, <laughs> and I, from what I understand, I don't think this has a Blu-ray release anywhere. And I don't. It should. Um, yeah, I think this movie could benefit huge from a Blu-ray. Um, so I don't know. Hope if someone like discotheque or like uh srs or someone could get a hold of this uh it would be amazing but um for now we have what we have and we have to make do with it um but yeah no i'm i'm with you guys in that uh it's i think it's a pretty tightly written script um it does a very good job and this is what a lot of genre movies should do of establishing uh, your characters and the rules early on, and then follow up on everything that you introduce. You know, I mean, follow up on her saying she won't kill humans and how the sword works. And I mean, those are like simple screenwriting 101 things, but I mean, it's surprising how many movies <laughs> don't follow. <laughs> yeah, don't follow rules like that. Um, I think the effects are great. Um, I know Haraguchi has a soft spot for the uh the Daie yokai trilogy so um you know we get cameos from a lot of the yokai that were in there and those oh, and they yeah, that's my, one of my favorite moments and they they look like in the whole movie yeah and and they look a lot like the the old uh really Daie yeah, versions yeah. um in the kibakichi uh special features in an interview he's talking about well both that movie and sakuya and he said like yeah, how can I make a yokai movie without showing the having the yokai dance party? And he said, in those old <laughs> movies, they always at the end they always go off and have a dance party. And he's like, I knew I had to have that. Um, That's awesome. And it, that's one of my favorite parts is the is the innocent yokai dance party. Yeah, and that's when they also make it clear, like, hey, you know, not all the yokai are here to hurt us. And you know, you see all of the old classics like Caracasa, the umbrella um creature and yeah they're just they're just having a good time um and uh and they kind of come back a little bit at the end i don't know if you guys watched through the end credits but but the end credits uh is actually like a little montage that kind of you know shows like what they do afterwards so you know you see taru training um and you see them like hanging out with other yokai and and stuff like that. Um, so there's a little montage that's kind of like a, here's what they're doing now kind of thing. It's um, got an awesome song. Yeah, <laughs> that's an awesome song. I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'm sure if you know if I had been like Kevin and seen this 
200 times or whatever you're like you're saying i'd, I'd probably have that song burned in my brain because it's like when you're listening to it and when it's all done it sticks in your head it's catchy yeah um and yeah shout out to kevin too because uh, this is a movie that doesn't have a lot of english language material on it so um the chapter in his book uh helped me quite a bit with this one um but yeah it's i if you're a fan i i think like and this is how i first heard about it because i think it was either in a monster zero thread or something way back in like the early 2000s um, around the time ADV had put the uh, the original Yokai trilogy out, and there was a thread on there, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm really liking these. And someone was like, you know, you should check out this movie called Sakuya. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a spiritual successor to those old Yokai films. And this is before the Mike uh, version even came out. And I was like, okay, and then I i got it and i thought it was awesome so if you do like the the original trilogy or the Mike yokai war like this falls like right into place like you that you could it's, it's it feels like an unofficial entry in in that series practically um and uh it definitely does and yeah i i wish not only would it get a u.s release but just a a, an hd release a blu-ray release like you get this in a version where you can really admire um you know the visuals and the effects and the and the monster suits and the uh miniatures and all that cool stuff um story-wise i do have a question i asked tom and he didn't remember so i'm gonna defer it to matt they make a really big deal about how like none of them can swim specifically taru and i know he has to swim at the end but like that comes up when they're on their hike and they're like yeah we have to get across this river and then like they don't show them ever crossing the river what's up with that i might have missed something i'm i'm just asking (laughs) if yeah, I want to say that if they did cross the river, it happened very quickly. All right. Well, Kevin, if I'm expecting movies. Kevin to pop up in our Facebook chat or in the comments sure somewhere will. and clear this up. Uh, <laughs> um, however, um, it does lead to one of the movie's other kind of bigger faults is that right around them when they're like discussing that. They have a scene of dialogue that feels like wildly cyclical. Um, where basically, I just feel like f- for a little too long, they're discussing over and over and over Taro and, and, and whether he's good or evil and he's a monster. Or no, he's my brother. Or like That conversation feels like it happens like three times right then and it's a weird moment where like if you cut that out the pacing of the movie would be almost perfect but with that in there it's a little that's a moment where the pacing drags a little the other one would be the song what's the do you guys know what the deal with that song is well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I just... I, or are only... we just doing this incomplete podcast thing where we just need Kevin to fill in all the blanks? <laughs> like, Yeah, we should have just had Kevin Darendorf come on the podcast. <laughs> <this Well>, episode. <laughs> um, the only... I mean, I don't... I, the thing about the song is that it's sung to Taru by the Spider Queen, you know, the villain, and it 
it kind of, I think, is part of his heel turn because he does yeah, briefly, like, si- you know, I think it's part of her, you know, seducing him to the dark side, if we're going to use yeah. Star Wars terminology here. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's exactly what that is. Spider Queen rocks, by the way. Can't now, why why the decision that was conveyed via song, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But <laughs> I, I think, like, just in terms of story mechanics, I think that's like why that's why it's there. Why it was done the way it was is another question. I uh, I love this movie, by the way, and and I can't really add much to what you guys have already talked about except to say it, it touched a very personal note for me and the fact that we don't my <laughs> wife and I haven't talked about this much on social media but like we are foster parents and the thing that we I related to so much in this movie is the way that she treats her brother like she raises this this kappa as her own family and there's something I thought you were going to say you adopted a giant spider woman <laughs> that might be equally as cool but um no I mean like just just the whole thing about taking someone in that and treating them and loving them as your family even though they're not and then also standing up for them even though they might do you wrong at some point like those things just really resonate with me personally and on on top of all the other stuff like the spider queen's awesome the battles are incredible you have really awesome story beats that are just really intricately handled and like everything is very tight and it feels very complete um but like the heartstrings, man. You, you tug at my heartstrings in a movie like this, and it just like, I, I, it's it's a wonderful experience from start to finish. I didn't I didn't want it to end, you know, and it's a pretty brisk. What like ninety minutes ish? So, love yeah. this movie. Um, yeah. I uh, well, I guess before we get into our ratings, I'll do some trivia just because there's not much, and it's mostly uh, related to personnel. But um, uh, we can uh. We have some names to attach to some of the spectacular effects and visuals in it. Um, the entire giant spider queen sequence with the uh, miniatures and the giant spider woman, uh, that was all um, done by Shinji Higuchi, who by 2000, he had already proved himself as a master with the Gamera trilogy, and I'm not sure if this was maybe a little smaller budget or maybe a little bigger budget, I have no idea, but... Um, it's a great sequence. Um, his assistant on that was Kiyotaka Taguchi, who is currently um, uh, in charge of a lot of the Ultraman stuff, but um, uh, he's done a lot of cool short films, um, Gahara, The Long and Dark-Haired Monster, and uh, Henge, which we reviewed last year in our Body Horror Shorts episode. Um He's awesome. This was his, him being uh, Higuchi's assistant on this was his first professional uh, uh, kaiju job. Um, the production design of the special effects sequences was by um, Hiroshi Sage, who sadly just the other day passed away from cancer. Um, so shout out and rest in peace to Sage san. Um, now, uh, we were talking about how cool just these characters are in this mythology is, um, and it's a shame uh, that it never got a sequel. I'm sure the that, um, you know, Cutie hum- Honey bombing and, the, and, you know, the studio closing its doors after only four films uh, has something to do with it, but uh, the screenwriter 
Kimiaki Mitsumasu uh, did write a sequel novel in 2003 called Sakuya Yokaiden, Legend of the Wandering Dutch Ship. Uh, I don't know anything else about it, um, but obviously it hasn't been put into English, so uh, I have nothing to say about it other than it exists, and um, for Japanese fans, there is a sequel out there in novel form. Um, a lot of the uh, creatures and props would be reused later in the Kibakichi movies. Um, and uh, a couple of cameos. Uh, we have Hiroshi Fujioka, who was the original Kamen Rider. Um, he was in Espy, Submersion of Japan. Um, there's also a small cameo. Oh, and he was um, uh, Sakuya's dad in the movie. Also a, a small cameo by Tetsuro Tamba, who's in Submersion of Japan, Prophecies of Nostradamus, uh, You Only Live Twice, the James Bond movie. Uh, Mike's Happiness of the Katakuris. He's in like half of the Japanese movies ever made. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, especially since I hadn't seen the movie in a long time. Um, but it held up. You know, it's. I remembered it being a lot of fun, and it's still a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really wish, um, you know, we had a sequel or a series where we could spend more time with these characters and um i mean hell i just wish we had a decent looking copy of this film that we could all watch <laughs> but um it's out there i mean you can find it in the usual uh less than legal spots online um it's uh, it's in the bootleg circuit um and yeah unfortunately they're old dvd transfers but hey take it if you got it and uh, just enjoy it because this movie, uh, this movie rocks. So um, I give Sakuya um, four uh, awkwardly placed musical numbers out of five because of again the heartstring thing. I'm gonna bump that from a four to a four and a half. Really, really like this movie a lot. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm with Bird again. It's, it's this. This fits right alongside uh, Mike's Great Yokai War, or um, what's the what's the is it one one thousand? No, it's not one hundred monsters, and then there's um, the crazy one is uh, the crazy one is um, Spook Warfare. Spook Warfare, yes. This this, fit, this fits like right around along with Great Yokai War and Spook Warfare. That would be a great triple uh, bill. Hell yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm at a four out of five. Uh, it's this movie's great. Yeah. Um. So now we're gonna get in, <laughs> now we're gonna get into a couple things with even less English language material to reference. Um, so I'm going to get a couple quick things out of the way. So Kibakichi and Kibakichi 2, um, uh, both released in 2004. Um, I'm going to get some quick facts out of the way, and then we'll dive into a synopsis and review. Um, so this was the, there was a Japanese, I'm not sure if they're still around, there was a Japanese indie studio called MTI Studios, and um, they wanted to break into the horror business, um, because this is around the time that J-Horror was exploding worldwide, basically. Um, 
and they uh, had an imprint called Psycho Film, spelled S-I-K-O, but that also doubles as, like, Psycho, you know? Like, get it? <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, not a lot of background uh, information that I could find beyond that. Um, it, there is a Kibakichi manga, however, um, even our buddy Kevin doesn't even know if the manga predates the films or not, um, because even that is like, there. I don't think it's been published in English, and even that doesn't have a lot of information I could find online. All I could really find is that um, uh, Shigeru Mizuki, who's known as like the godfather of the modern you know, versions of Yokai, the creator of Gege no Kitaro. Um, his assistant, Tatsuya Marino, drew it. Um, that's literally all I could find. Um, I even found, like, one of those, like, database pages, kind of like IMDb, but for manga, and, like, all, under almost everything, it was, like, not available, not available, not available, like, publisher, not available. Like, why even have an entry? <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, now, uh, <laughs> uh, weirdly, and I have seen this I don't, on, on, like, w- some streaming, uh, services, uh, it was retitled Werewolf Warrior for, for a period, um, I don't know if it's still on some of those streaming, uh, services, but I think I recall it being on, like, Asian Crush and some of those under that title, which is probably a little bit more marketable to uh, American audiences because they have, like, okay, everyone knows what a werewolf is. Um, yeah. uh, anyway, um, and then uh, the only trivia I'll get out of the way right now is the one of the Kappa suits was recycled for Death Kappa. Um which if you know which one to look if you if you if you're looking for that i feel like you could pick it out oh yeah yeah for sure yeah because there's a couple kappas he runs into in the first one and like yeah there's like most of them are like the normal normal yeah like the normal kappa you see in in you know stuff like um yakuza apocalypse or the uh the the other yokai movies where they're they're very humanoid but maybe with a beak yeah uh, and then there's just this one random one that looks like a straight up like monster yeah it's like a little it's like a little fat like danny devito kappa that's the one they <laughs> <laughs> that's the one they reused for 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 death kappa and like i said a lot of the yokai that were in sakuya get repurposed uh here for another dance party scene um and then uh, I do have a little bit on Kibakichi 2 that I guess I'll save for uh, once we get to that one. Um, but, um, so, uh, I guess uh, Tom, my randomizer in my head, chose you to syn- synopsize <laughs> this one. This one should be pretty easy, okay. though. Yeah. So, thank God, too, because I couldn't friggin' tell you what the story of Kibikichi 2 is, but uh, Kibikichi, he is a samurai who just kind of roams the countryside, and he's mistrustful of pretty much everyone. Uh, he um, gets attacked early on in the movie, and you know, fights everyone off, and uh, ultimately he ends up coming to a village where those who lead the village run a casino in which he ultimately, you know, partakes of some of the gambling. Uh, 
<clears throat> after a time, the boss, the like pit bosses, kind of notice him. They notice that he always seems to lose all of his smaller bets. But when he is, starts to take it seriously and places some big bets, he always wins. So they begin to let Kibakichi into some of the secret kind of goings on, goings on, going ons, goings on uh, of the casino and, and the village. And namely that it's a refuge for yokai attempting to just sort of live and exist peacefully. And the reason for this is, is, is this the thing about yokai that, that maybe I didn't know kind of until this movie they're, they're known as very good gamblers. <laughs> I'm not um, sure. Yeah, I I don't know if that's a general yokai thing or if that was just part part of this movie's mythology. But yeah, so that's because that's they're like, oh, he's such a good gambler. He's a, he's a real gambler. Um, and because he's a real gambler, they decide that he is must be a yokai. Um, but these yokai are, are just attempting to live just peacefully, hidden as humans. Uh, after humanity has been slaughtering yokai and mass for their differences from humans. Uh, Kibikichi takes all of this in stride. Um, and so the boss then confides in him that he's working on brokering a deal with like this local human tribe for a peaceful coexistence if he helps this man gain power on a larger scale. Um so who it's sort of like up to us to try to figure out and Kibakichi to try to figure out like who's more to be mistrusted here. Is it the humans who have been gener- for generations slaughtering the yokai or is it the yokai who will lure unsuspecting but also, you know, unscrupulous humans into the back rooms of their hotel in order to scare the shit out of them and feast on their flesh. <laughs> um and so basically, you know, because he is who he is, he's this sort of, you know, lone wolf. Uh, I get it. Uh, he, he ends up, you know, siding more with the yokai because the humans are uh, way more mistrustful and way more evil. Uh, and he ends up fighting, you know, the, the leader of the humans. And there's a lot of there's a lot of. Um, back and forth, like. Who is, who isn't, who's the bad guy, who's the good guy, uh, who's playing who against whom, and, and all that kind of stuff going on in this movie. I, I think uh, to get a little bit into you know my thoughts, kind of, that's one of the movie's like bigger flaws, is it, it tries to trade so hard on this mystery of who is everyone, like who are all these players, what are their roles to each other specifically that you're just kind of wondering it for the longest time yourself. And it never, it doesn't have like a, a real traction to the story then because so much of it is this setup of like, who's Kibukichi? Is he good? Is he bad? Who, who are these yokai? Are they good? Are they bad? Who are the humans? Are they good? Are they bad? Like, and there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of confusion around it, even on a storytelling level, I think. Um, but ultimately, I kind of liked the movie. Yeah, um, I think those are all valid criticisms and ones that I share. 
Um, the first time I watched it, I, I've only seen this twice, because I, I got the DVD, it was, like, really cheap, it was, like, five bucks or something, and I was like, oh, I know what this is, and this was years ago, and I watched it, I remember watching it, because I watched it on Thanksgiving, and I was, like, in a food coma, and I remembered it not, I remembered not liking it very much. Then when I rewatched it, I liked it a lot more this time around. Um, but yeah, it's weird in that it's almost like the movie doesn't have a second act. Yeah. Like, it has a really long first act, and then it has a third act. <laughs> and like, so it's like, it's like all set up, and then... And then the third act happens, and then it's over. Um, so, yeah, it, because of that, the first, you know... It kind of has a second act, because it, it has, like, a main struggle and a main problem, but as a, as a viewer, you have no idea what side you're rooting for. Because you really don't even know what side everyone is even on. yeah. They don't even resolve some of those questions until the next movie, even, which is another, especially with Anju specifically, like they introduce this character and then she's there, she's not there, why was she there to begin with? And they don't really address that until until part two, which I get is what they're going for, but it doesn't lend itself to the first movie. Well, yeah, Anju is a girl who, because Kibakichi had at one point trusted humans, her clan got slaughtered and she's the only one that survived and so she like kind of has a grudge and she shows up briefly and she's like hey like remember when you got my family killed and he's like but no like i didn't mean it and then (laughs) (laughs) and then she just kind of like goes away well then like you know they spend all that time in flashbacks to that specific scene where they go they show that slaughter like what it feels like it's multiple times maybe i'm just crazy but like it's He's always going back to that time and remembering when he cost his village, basically everyone. There, he cost everyone's lives there, and it doesn't ever seem to get like resolved in this film. And so I was waiting for that to come sort of to some sort of fruition. We never get that until even some semblance in part two. Um, but yeah, like it, there's just a lot going on. It feels a bit busy and not tying up some of those loose ends or giving us something to really look forward to by maybe bringing her back at the end and like kind of explaining things a bit more um i think that would have helped out a lot still like i I think the stuff that does work um the setting like the set pieces are great i think some of the stuff around the gambling is actually kind of fun um the battles are great you get a lot of like you know blood spraying everywhere and like body parts going crazy and like sometimes you expect it sometimes the the battles uh are actually kind of bloodless it's kind of interesting how much like you get dismemberments on top of like people that don't bleed at all but yeah yeah and then you get like the arterial spray (laughs) Um, you think some of that like i feel like some of that that we're just talking about with like some of these characters being set up and not paid off and things like that almost points me towards thinking that the manga came first yeah because that's a that's a very that's a a fair point that's that's kind of a common thing you run into when you get into adaptations of stuff too yeah especially manga or comic adaptations, you know, is like setting things up or having, I feel like especially manga is having something there that's there because it's in the first chapter or the first few chapters of a manga, but doesn't really have a role to play in those first few chapters. 
and and saving it for the next entry. And now, you know, in, in the United States, we know how that usually works out with just stuff being left, never touched, <laughs> yeah. and talked about ever again. Um, but, like, yeah, it's, it, it points me in that direction of, of thinking that. Yeah. Um, for sure, yeah. I, I think that it can it, it can kind of get a little dull in the middle. But overall, I I, I kind of thought that the last act really is worth it. I really like a lot of the action in the last, in the finale, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of crazy wireworks and, um, monsters and, uh, a Cyclops thing with Titanosaurus's roar. I forgot um, about that, but yeah, there's a lot of that. And then I think there, the yeah. Kappas have Kumanga's roar. And then, uh, Kibakichi Some- has Gyra, the green gargantua. And then, and um, someone has Ebiro's roar. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I Is don't it- know, I don't know how they, did that or if they did it legally or <laughs> or what but uh the, the the only one that's really out of place is titanosaurus because it's coming out of this like like humanoid creature <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I think the action and the fights in the at the end are really fun and um kind of kind of make up for you know a little bit of the more dull stuff in the middle um I also really like the sequence when the guy, because yeah, w- whenever they get like the shady characters stopping by the casino, they always like get eaten, and and there's the guy, the the sleazy guy that gets taken out, taken in the back by all the the geishas who turn into like these spider creatures that 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 part's awesome. Eat him, yeah, that part's great, and um. And uh, Haraguchi says in the uh, DVD features, he said this was made for probably about or maybe less than half the budget of Sakuya, and it's de- it definitely feels low budget, but even considering that, I think a lot of the, the monsters and stuff look pretty cool. Yeah, I think Kibikichi himself looks yeah. great. Yeah, and there's some good gore, and yeah, Kibikichi is interesting because it's a suit, but they actually applied makeup to to the face, like heavy duty creature makeup that that um, is really cool. The easy thing would just be to like slap a werewolf mask over him or something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I I don't know that there's much more to say about it. I think we're all kind of landing on the same page here. Um, but uh, yeah, th- I really wasn't looking forward to revisiting this just because I didn't remember... Al- I remembered almost nothing from the first time I watched it other than I walked away feeling disappointed. Probably because I got it expecting it to be more in line with Sakuya. I was like, oh, it's the Sakuya guy, it's another yokai movie. Like, I, I think I was probably expecting something with the, a little more, more of a spectacle, like Sakuya, and I, instead I got this super low-budget, like, samurai movie that every now and then will have monsters show up. But I think knowing that going in and, you know, having it more divorced from Sakuya, I was able to enjoy it a lot more and kind of... Um, you know, admire how how original it was and what they were able to do with like five bucks. So, um, yeah, got, that's pretty much where I am. I mean, it's the characters are a little too dull. The overall vibe is like a touch too serious and brooding. Um, although that's almost part of its charm because every yokai movie that I've seen, 
which I admit is not extensive at all, uh, has like a, a really goofy streak running through it. Um, and there's a little bit of that here, but not not very much at all. It's it's very straight-laced and very serious. That is going to especially work against the sequel. But in this movie, at least it gives it like a kind of unique flair and a unique feel from a lot of yokai fare. It's a lot less... You know, a lot less silly. It seems a lot less innocent. It, you know, things seem like they have kind of more stakes um, just in terms of like life and death. I feel like in a lot of other yokai movies, you know, you end up just like saying that it's partially imaginary and stuff like that. You know, like only kids or only drunk people can even see the yokai <laughs> and, right. and things like that, you know. Um, so. You know, it, it's one of those kind of double-edged swords, swords in this movie, at least things. But when things really do crank into into high gear in the final act, it's it's a real fun, wild ride. It's got some really good body horror, actually, uh, and and action and gore. So so yeah, I uh, overall, I think it, it's it's well worth a, a look. How many uh, misplaced Titanosaurus roars would you guys give this? Uh, I give it a three, which is average, but, you know, in no hurry to revisit, but if you want something different, especially out of yokai, uh, movies, then I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'd I'd give it, like, a solid three. You know, it's, again, it's that maybe slightly above average, but I'm not in a hurry to see it again. I would, you know pick up a dvd or cheap or something like that but yeah it's it's was this the one that was on amazon prime actually i thought that was that two it was like weird but but yeah it was i've seen i've seen both kind of come in and out of various streaming services over the years so maybe Um, this was worth the watch though i give it i'm at i'm at a uh, step below a two and a half i think my main gripe is just how disjointed some of the storytelling is and that kind of lessened my enjoyment i do really i did really like the third act though that's that was a lot of fun but it, it's it's two, it's a two and a half it's a i would say check it out um it's not you're not going to waste your time watching it um yeah okay so we'll move on to still 2004 um with kiba kichi 2 probably even less to say about that one in terms of background and our thoughts but um it's interesting i keep seeing haraguchi credited as a co-director on this with a guy named daiji hattori um but then on the dvd of the first movie he says hattori is filming the second one right now and then um just via my googling um I was on looking at. I, I got led to Google Books, a uh, book about it's like the history of werewolf cinema or whatever. And there's a section on Kibakichi, uh, and there's a uh, quotes in there from Haraguchi that said, you know, he wishes he could have done the second one, but his schedule was too tight, and he ended up feeling like another director might be able to add something anyway, so he didn't direct it. So his involvement, at least as far as directing goes. Um, because this movie definitely reuses his monsters, um, is kind of in the air. But maybe his absence 
might also explain some of the things <laughs> going on here. Um, but I thought that was interesting, especially because he's commonly said, oh, he did both, but it's l- I'm leaning towards it seems like he really didn't do much of anything, especially if uh, the quote that was in the, the werewolf cinema book um, is is to be taken at, you know, at face value. But, uh, Interesting. yeah, yeah, it's, it is, I, I didn't know that until I, like, I had to dig deep just to find that information. Um, so, since... I think I got this. I think I got the synopsis because there's not. There's could not a you? Ton because too. like, yeah. <laughs> I I don't it's, know. It's okay. Okay. We, we, All right. It's okay. Ta- so tackle this, and maybe 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 this will also make some of this movie come back to me. Yeah. So <laughs> the movie basically opens up with a quick recap of the first film, and we are reintroduced to Anju, who's hunting Kibakichi at this point for her revenge. And then we see this guy just like slaughtering. He's a random samurai guy, but his name is uh, Sakura Maru. And he's just slaughtering this like entire village. And Kibakichi actually kind of stumbles across him and the guy attacks him. And Kibakichi's actually injured while fighting. And the fight the fight's actually broke up. Hey, hold on. And, yeah, yeah. I have a thought. Yeah. A brief one. But I forgot to I forgot to mention how brutal the the beginning of the third act of the first movie is, because it's basically like the humans that they have that uncomfortable alliance with, like come in and just slaughter everybody. Oh yeah, pretty much. And I think is is does anyone survive besides the little? I don't think we mentioned it at all. But the yokai, I guess this kind of thematically ties in with uh, Sakuya a bit. The, there's a little orphan girl that like the lives with them. And I know she. I remember she survived. Most of them die. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like at least ninety percent. Okay. <laughs> it's right. a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Well, your little recap just remind me of that. But yes. Yeah. Pr- proceed. So, so like, Kibakichi and Sakura Maru fight, and the fight eventually gets stopped, and Kibakichi's injured, and he's end up uh, this lady named uh, Matsu end up tending to his wounds, and she's actually blind. But she helps him anyway, and the townspeople are freaking out because they don't want this yokai in their presence. And meanwhile, Sakura Maru runs into Anju, and he kind of like has this weird fascination with her. And he basically decides, whatever she wants to do, I'm just going to do it. So she essentially becomes uh, – he essentially becomes like her right-hand person even though she doesn't want him to be there. So like there's various times in the film where he comes out of the woodwork and tries to defend her when she's being attacked because we have this – a uh, guy named Dogen, and he's got a couple other henchmen. And, and what you don't realize is that he's just trying to kill everybody. He's controlling humans, and some he's controlling some humans and some yokai. And his whole deal is he just wants to kill everybody. This is where the movie loses me. Yeah, what well, loses everybody <laughs> at that point? So we have this showdown where Anju's trying to kill Kibakichi, Kibakichi's trying to fight Sakuramaru, and Dogen's trying to kill everybody. And at various times, they sort of, like, switch sides where Anju is fighting alongside Kibukichi to attack Dogon. And then they have a – and then after that fight is settled, then she goes back to try and take her revenge. Um, I'm just going to chime in with my initial thoughts real fast because there's a lot going on in this movie. It's far, far less interesting than anything in the first film. Um, there's probably, in some respects, too much going on because there's so much, like, they build up – in the first movie, they build up this whole vengeance plot, 
And in the end, she ends up fighting alongside him at one point. And then they have they have a small bout at the very end of the film that kind of resolves things. But like that should have been what this movie was. And instead, we got this side plot where Dogon's coming in and, and trying to kill other people. And it's just also I will say like the choreography of the fights in this film is they're not great. Like, what I just happened? Found, like, like uh, that's I another. Don't know. I, <laughs> like, what, it, I was watching this thinking like I've seen a lot of really bad television shows that do better choreography well we we just we just spend spent a good amount of time complimenting the first movie on this and then in this one it's like were they trying like people like (laughs) ask each other and like somebody would like slip their leg out and like fall but they haven't actually had any sort of there was like no connection between one foot versus the other and people are falling down like it's really bad well also the like i we talked about how cool the battle at the end of the first one was at the end of this one uh is it Anju that he fights? Um he that that is a last fight, yeah. So yeah. like at the very So she turns like, into a werewolf and then the two of them fight but like they more or less just kinda like dance around. With like leaves falling around them? <laughs> yeah. And, and like And then how does that get re- resolved? Does it get resolved? I mean she she dies, unless like I'm misremembering something. Like he ends up just being the lonely swordsman after that but she ends up not getting her vengeance and i think he laments her death that's basically it like i the most interesting thing about this movie is sakamura because he's like he's this badass samurai that's killing a bunch of magistrates and in the opening i'm like okay this is kind of cool and that's and that's also like very classical uh like yokai story, like even like the old Dio, Dai movies. There's always a corrupt human that is like the yokai have to take out. Well, his, his backstory is messed up too. He's like the product of rape or something, and like that's his. He's like his. Everybody hates him because his mother was raped, and they like I think they. Except then it turned him. out it wasn't. Right. When they say they thought he was the product of rape, but then he wasn't. No, but they he still they, turned out to be a dick, anyways. No, I'm because everyone sure treated him like garbage. I thought they blatantly showed. It. Maybe, maybe I missed it. To be fair, I think I had a stroke halfway through this movie. They so. did blatantly show it, but then they said, "Oh, but that was he wasn't the baby." That, uh, yeah, I think I, I vaguely remember something. I'm having about that. a very uncharacteristically difficult time remembering. <laughs> yeah. That's remembering. nothing in this movie that's actually memorable. Like yeah. that's that's the problem. It's insane. Like you guys, like you mentioned, there's a lot going on in this movie. But at the same time, it's so disjointed and disconnected from, like, sensible storytelling that it, it it's unmemorable and, and it doesn't make sense. And it's just – it just kind of glosses over your eyes. Like, <laughs> who is who's this Dogon character and why is he – why does he hate – humans and yokai but then and then at the end like he at the end you like he transforms into a green thing and what's yeah what's the extent of his powers because sometimes he can mind control people and other times he can't and he seems very concerned with kibakichi and killing kibakichi uh as if like kibakichi is like this chosen one or something but like I don't know None that the movie ever explains any of those things at yeah. all. Like it doesn't even try. <laughs> no, it's you have to you have to establish the rules of your movie. You know, it's like we talked about with with Sakuya. Is like there's there's a lot of 
crazy stuff that happens in Sakia, and there's ultimately at the end of the day, there's a lot that's going on in terms of like the allegiances, right? You know, like Taro like changes his allegiance. I feel like it's like two or three times at the end of the movie, and. And, you know, Sakuya herself, like, at one point is killing humans and she's all distraught about it, and even though they're bad guys and all this. But, like, that movie establishes its rules and establishes its characters and establishes all that stuff such that when these other things happen that uh, I wouldn't say contradict those things, but that maybe attempt to break the rules or attempt to you know, flip a character allegiance or something. It all makes sense and it's all trackable. In this, you bring up a character and you don't explain who he is, what his powers are, what he is even. Like this Dogon, he's he's not a yokai and he's not a human. So so what there's there's a third thing, you know? But but no one ever explains what the hell that third thing is. And so he has no rules. So like anything that happens with him is just like crap that they make up on the spot to write themselves out of a corner and and the sum total of like all of this insane stuff happening is just that it's actually boring because you can't track any of it and you can't follow any of it and then especially in a story like this where the it seems like Again, I still keep coming back to once now that I've heard it's a manga, I, I feel like th- this isn't an adaptation of a manga, not a, uh, a, a manga that was adapted from a from the movie. Is like seems like the story of Kibakichi is is kind of like a a status quo thing very often, right? Like he's a lone samurai, he comes upon some adventure, and when at the end of the day, when it's all done, he is still a lone samurai. So when you have something that constantly resets the status quo like that, a movie like this and a story like this where you don't explain any of those, it feels totally pointless. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because it doesn't inform the character in any interesting or different way than we've already seen. Because you don't know how any of these characters relate to each other or him. Yeah, I, it is like... Just, like, a thing that doesn't really need to, like, I guess, exist? <laughs> I mean, it, was there was there a point to telling this story? Like, Lonely Swordsman still stays lonely? Is that Was that the point? Like, is that... He he never gets to have any... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I The only thing I'll say is that I, I enjoyed the opening sequence where he's... Where the one, Sakamaru is butchering everybody. And there are, like, moments in the film... That, like, I kind of enjoyed the battle sequences. But everything else was not... It's not... Oh, the score is cool. Like, the, the theme song is super catchy, which is in both movies. Like, that... Is that a... I mean... That's that's the best I got, guys. It's not a... It's a hard watch. Yeah. It's confused. <laughs> I'm confused. It... I'm, like... My eyes twitching thinking about it again. Never have to... Like, having to go through the plot synopsis once more. It don't make no sense. So, Mm. and also like everything, like everything seems like just such a step down. And I know, you know, I guess it maybe was made for even less money probably than the first one. But like, 
even Kibukichi himself never ends up looking as good as he does in the first one. That's true. It sucks. <laughs> uh, so like, I hated many? it. I really hated it, and I was I was surprised how much I hated it because it starts off and you're like, oh, another one of these, cool, you know, and and just as it goes on, you're like, what in the hell is happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm the most baffling thing, honestly, is that fight at the end between the two. The most baffling thing is that is the Werewolves. the whole character of Bogon, and it's like because it's it's like imagine if you made a sequel to uh, I, I don't know like like Seven Samurai where they fought against Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, like, that's like. The thing is, that's incredibly accurate. Like, that's exactly what that guy basically... What the hell is that character doing there? Yeah. No one, <laughs> no one knows. Why does he want... Why is he? Why are they stalking the yokai? Why I don't does he want to kill everything? Why? Why was this movie made? That's a better question. What if, you, what if you did a sequel to American Werewolf in London where the werewolf fights against Neo from The Matrix... I don't know. That's what this into movie like, right it doesn't now. make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, Darth Vader wannabe villains out of five? Uh, One and a half. It's got a couple cool costumes. It's got like a, a couple cool moments. The, the one character is, is at least that one character whenever he's around it's at least like kind of entertaining that that sakura maru uh and how much he's like obsessed with the with the what does he call her the girl with the fangs or something like that yeah the girl with the um fangs. but but yeah one and a half I, re- I really did not like this yeah i'm between a one and a one and a half but with movies like this i like to be nice and lean into the positive so i'll i guess i'll lean into a one and a half even though yeah. I don't know if, if that's that. That's not necessarily positive, but um, I also add like a one. I would say, yeah, I'd say skip it. And I don't know. It's interesting to know that it doesn't really sound like Haraguchi was around for a lot of this. Maybe even all of it. So um, that seems like it could be a big part of the problem. Honestly, is he's in the other three movies it seems like they were made very close together in the in the other three haraguchi movies we've seen there's a keen sense of style to the direction to to effect sequences and that is utterly lacking here this movie is flat and boring and that doesn't seem like haraguchi at all and i i looked up this hattori guy and um there's some random TV stuff but he's uh I guess he's known for a series called Ninja Vixens uh with titles like Vixen Dropouts, Web of Passion, Flame of Seduction, uh in this arousing adventure of super ninja skill, Sukuzani and Okan are two beautiful female warriors in training who must hunt down and rescue their ninja clans 
uh, Ninja Clan Lord's Sacred and Protective Ninjutsu Scroll. Kageru is the sultry duo's arch-nemesis, a sex-and-money-loving female fighter with equally dazzling skill and beauty. It's a passionate battle of good versus evil when the seductive villains, vixens face their most prov- provocative exploit ever. So that's like that's this guy's... That's porn. <laughs> 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 well, uh, well, that's that's this guy's deal, I guess. All right. That would explain a lot. Because <laughs> um, if you're a director of porn, <laughs> and you bring those same storytelling elements to a movie without the porn part, you get something like this. <laughs> Um, so that's that. Uh, Haraguchi followed this up by Death Kappa, which we all groaned audibly at. Um, and then, uh, it seems like he's still around doing some stuff with Tsuburaya, and he did that Ultraman Ginga movie, so... He's still around! Uh, but, um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his body of work, uh, as a director, and um, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but the stuff in there that's good is pretty darn good. So, uh, I think we're good to go here. Uh, we we good? You guys good? I'm all set. All right. And check out Sakuya. Yeah, Sakuya is awesome. All right, bye everybody. I'm gonna have to like splice this into the other episode but we forgot in sakuya that whole sequence with sukamoto is like the messed up doll maker guy oh yeah where like they go to his they they go to like a hotel and he's like a creepy guy there and he has all these dolls and it turns out they have like the souls of these girls and they're like crying and saying like save us yeah that's like the yeah, that was a pretty awesome. Yeah. And then he gets yeah, killed she, by she the. She thinks he's a yokai. Yeah, she, they think but he's like he's a yokai. No, but, I'm just a dude. Yeah, <laughs> but he's actually just a weirdo. And then the person that runs the hotel is an actual yokai that's like a big cat person. And then she kills. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then she kills him. And then they have to fight and kill her. And then the cat thing is really cool too. Yeah, and then that and that's what saves all the girls that, that are like in the doll. I'll have to, like, add that to, like, the end of the last episode is, like, I don't know. There might as well just be an outtake section after it. Oh, that was also something in, in wasn't it in one of the Kibakichi movies where an evil character, it was, it was the guy, whoa, 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 in Kibakichi <laughs> 2, you remember, remember the bad guy that we were, we were talking about, the guy who was the Dobra. product? Yeah, 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 so- yeah, yeah. Or you his, talking about Sakamaru? Yeah. His his rape dad. Oh yeah, he was speaking Spanish was too. Yeah, a Spanish speaker. He was a blue eye, blonde haired Spanish dude. Yes, and he was. He also was like Buenos Dias. <laughs> <laughs> like so, I I need to know. Maybe 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 our buddy Kevin can answer this one for us, or maybe any listener can. Anyone who's more well versed in japanese culture is um is is the spanish language seen as like inherently evil there well uh, we're gonna talk what's uh what's the guy's name when, when we're gonna have to get to it when we get to vampire girl versus frankenstein girl but the guy that killed the vampire girl's mom 
It was one of the like Christian missionaries. Uh, like, yeah. D- does that maybe have something to do with it? Could be, yeah, because they were conquistadors, so they were, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe because they they really were trying to force that shit on them, and if for Kibakichi, that would line up with like the time period, probably. Buenos dias. So 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 if if they were Spanish, my guess would be that yeah they. uh they that guy is probably the rapist thank you for listening to the kaiju transmissions podcast please take a moment to rate and review us on itunes podbean and stitcher make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes you can also check us out on twitter at kt underscore podcast you can check us out on instagram and facebook at kaiju transmissions and you can email us at kaiju transmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments and we will see you next time